the first part of any task is picking the right tool. Go big or go home. The task, to chop off this branch. Sometimes, to be truly productive, you need to go even bigger. There is nothing like the feeling of being truly productive. There is nothing like the feeling of being truly productive, and I am here living to tell about it. So I'm glad to be here this morning. Welcome to Calvary Church. We are glad that we can gather this morning and open up God's word together. This morning, we're continuing our study in the book of Titus, and we have come to the last week in our study of the book of Titus. We've been in it almost a year now, and we've gone through the book of Titus, and we're in this last mini-series in which we've entitled it A New Life. And over the past number of weeks, we have looked at what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and we've learned that being a follower of Jesus Christ means that we are to be obedient to God, means that we're to be gentle, it means that we're to be devoted. It means that we're to be peaceable. And today, we're going to see that it means that we are to be productive. So if you would, would you take your Bible, open it up, and turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. And as we get started, I do want to say happy Father's Day to all of the fathers out there and to all the spiritual fathers as well. This is a special day for all of you. And to my dad, happy Father's Day. I love you. I am so thankful to God for you. Thank you for everything you've done for me. Titus chapter three. The apostle Paul here in Titus chapter three begins to make some final remarks to the readers of this letter. Some may say that he's saving the best for last. And if we look at verse 14 of Titus chapter three, we see Paul's final instruction in the letter. It's his final instruction to us. Verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for the urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Last week, 
we briefly looked at this verse to introduce us to the call to be devoted. This week, we're going to look at this verse to help focus us on what we need to be devoted to. The verse says that we are to be devoted to doing what is good. Another translation says that we are to engage in good deeds. This is the sixth time in the book of Titus that Paul urges followers of Jesus to do good works. And here, it's as if he cannot end the letter without one more appeal to you and to me to do good works. And then at the end of the verse, we see Paul's very last instruction. Do not live unproductive lives. A more positive presentation would be that we are to live productive lives. We are to be productive. But what does it really mean? What does that really mean to live a productive life? This morning, I would like us to look at three steps to meaningful productivity. Three steps to meaningful productivity. The first step to meaningful productivity is understanding God's definition for it. You see, the world encourages us towards a productivity that is selfish, that is self-focused. The world's encouragement to us is to seek self-fulfillment, to lay out your dreams and to lay out your goals, to reach for what you believe your life should be like, then to work hard and go for it. It's the world saying to us, if you just hustle hard enough, if you just work hard enough, you will be able to attain all that you dream, all that you look for, all that you're hoping for. Just work hard and you'll be able to get it all. But this type of productivity can be a deceptive type of idolatry in its self-focus. You see, God has a very different definition. Here in Titus Chapter 3, verse 14. God connects productivity to doing what is good, to doing good works. Jesus himself further helps us understand this in his Sermon on the Mount. Look what he writes in Matthew 5, verse 16. Jesus says, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That's God's way of defining what it means to be productive. Bring glory to God by doing good deeds. Doing good works for others, for God's glory, is the way the Lord defines productive. So for us, a good definition of productivity from God's point of view Doing good to others for God's glory. Doing good to others for God's glory. And once we have this definition in mind, we come to see that the obligation to do good works applies to all of us. There are no exceptions. All of us as followers of Jesus are called to do good works for the glory of God. It means there's no exceptions. That means women and men, adults and children, young and old, people who are working, people who are students, those who are retired, those who are unemployed, 
all of us as followers of Jesus are to live productive lives. We're to live our lives doing good to others for the glory of God. So that's the first step to meaningful productivity. Understanding that God has a very different definition than the world. And God's definition is doing good to others for the glory of God. The second step to meaningful productivity is realizing that God was himself the first worker. And he was incredibly productive. And in his productivity, we have a model and a motivation for us to be productive. So if you would take your Bibles and turn back to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one, it's the first chapter in all of the Bible. It's at the very beginning of the Bible. And in Genesis chapter one, in the first chapter of the Bible, we see that God worked for six days. He worked for six days creating the world. And then on the seventh day, he rested creating the Sabbath. You see, because God is productive, because God works, it must have some intrinsic value. It's not just a necessary evil or mundane drudgery. More than just showing us some intrinsic value though, God's model of productivity in work in and of itself models for us and motivates us towards work and towards productivity. And right after God finished this work, he gives an assignment to Adam and Eve, the first humans and the next workers. Look what it says in Genesis 1 verse 28. It says, God blessed them. That's Adam and Eve. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God is giving to Adam and Eve a number of tasks here. But more generally, he is instructing them to be productive. Then look at Genesis 2 verse 15. In this verse, God gives Adam a specific task. Verse 15 of chapter two, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And this happens all before the fall. God gave Adam and Eve, we see the job of exercising dominion and working and caring for the garden before sin entered the world. You see each one of us, starting with Adam and Eve, we were created, we were designed to be productive. Now there's an interesting connection between Genesis 2.15 and Titus 3.14. In Genesis 2.15 here, the term or the phrase work and take care of it is actually the Hebrew word for serving. And interestingly, when this word here is translated into Greek, it is translated into the same root word that we see back in Titus 3.14 that has been translated for us doing what is good or engaging in good deeds. It's the same root word. So who are Adam and Eve serving in the garden? 
Were they just tasked with meeting their own needs? No. In the garden, they were serving God. When they increased in number, when they subdued the earth, when they ruled over the fish, the birds, and all the living creatures, Adam and Eve were serving God. They were being productive and bringing glory to God by doing what he asked them to do. Likewise, back in Titus 3.14, remember Paul uses the same root word there. We've been instructed to be productive by doing good to others for the glory of God. And in that and through that, we're serving God and serving others, doing good deeds, doing good to others. So three steps to meaningful productivity. The first step is define productivity the way God defines it, doing good to others for his glory. The second step to meaningful productivity, recognize or realize that God was the first worker. He's very productive and there's a model and a motivation in God's production to you and to me. And now the third step, the third step that we have towards meaningful productivity is get to work. Start doing good deeds for God's glory. Look at 1 Corinthians 10 Verse 31, look what this says. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, not only do you get to eat and drink for God's glory, the verse tells you, it tells me that whatever you do, which means everything that you do, do it for the glory of God. You see, you and I tend to compartmentalize our lives and we tend to do some things for ourselves. Yes, we do some things for God, but we tend to do some things for ourselves. We compartmentalize our lives and we hold some things for ourselves. And what 1 Corinthians 10, 31 is saying, no, everything you do, do it for the glory of God. Yes, as you work, if you are employed, as you work, do your job for the glory of God but in every other area of your life as well, as you engage with your family, as you engage with your friends, as you engage with your neighbors, do it all for the glory of God, all areas of your lives. Now think about this. Think about what this means for you and think about what it means for me. What this means is we get the opportunity. It's really a gift. It's a gift from God. He's given us the opportunity to go to work for him. I know many of you have your dream job. You have that job that you think if I just had that job, my life would be perfect. Maybe it's the job itself. It's the task within the job. Maybe it's the money. Maybe it's the relationships that you receive from that job. And you think if I just have that job, my life would be great. What I want to remind you today is you do have the perfect job. Your job, my job, is to be productive for God. We have this opportunity, this gift from God to bring him glory in and through everything we do. In all areas of our lives, we have the opportunity to do good to others for the glory of God. So we need to do good for others. We need to engage in good deeds. So what is a good deed? 
Now, I'm going to give you a list of good deeds, but my list is by no means exhaustive. There are lots of good deeds that you can do for others. Just a few that I thought about this past week. You could engage. Think of the times that we're in. You could engage with someone of a different race. Engage with them to hear their story, to listen to their experiences, to to empathize and try to understand how they feel. Engage with somebody of a different race and listen. And I emphasize listen here. Listen. You could make a meal for someone who is a shut-in or someone who is experiencing a health issue and is unable to make meals for themselves. You could write a letter to a missionary. You could go visit your neighbor. You could chop down a tree. As much as you think about it, that was a good deed. It was a good deed for my wife. It was a good deed for my neighbor. Now, it might not have been a huge deed. You know what? It was a huge deed. You can do good deeds for your neighbors. You can do good deeds for people within your own family. You could change your child's diaper. That's a huge deed. You have opportunity after opportunity to good, do good deeds for others. You could take your daughter on a long walk just to talk. Or maybe you're the daughter. You could ask your dad to go on a long walk just to talk. Maybe you could share your toy with your brother or your sister before you even have the opportunity to play with it. Maybe you could invite a friend over, somebody in the neighborhood who you know doesn't really have that many friends, just to hang out. Or you could invite somebody to church. You see, there's so many good deeds that we can do to and for others. And it is the job that God has given to you and God has given to me so we can care for and meet the needs of others. And in that, we end up showing God through these good deeds to other people so that they can come to see him to do good deeds for others for his glory. You see, productivity is essentially, effectively, Managing the time, the talents, the gifts, and the resources, the energy, and the enthusiasm that God has given us to serve him, to bring him glory. Now, there's a danger when we talk about productivity, because many times when we talk about productivity, we tend to think about the volume of the work that we get done. We tend to think about how much we get done. We tend to think about crossing things off of our list as we complete them. But what I want to say to you is productivity is not first and foremost about all the things that we get done. Productivity is first and foremost about getting the right things done. And that means getting the things done that God wants you to complete. Doing good deeds to others for his glory. But that begs the question, what are the right things that God wants me to complete? That's between you and God. So you need to go to God, honestly, asking him, what are the things, Lord, that you would have me do for other, others? What are those good things that I can do within my family, with my friends, with my neighbors, at my place of employment? What are the things, Lord, that you would have me do? Ask him what the right things are for you to do. Those are three meaningful steps 
for meaningful productivity. First step, define productivity the way God defines productivity, doing good to others for his glory. Second step is realize that God was the first worker and he's very productive and that models uh, for us and it motivates us to work. And then the third meaningful step is getting to work, do the work. But as we think about these three steps to meaningful productivity, you need to realize that there's two pitfalls. There's two pitfalls to productivity, to meaningful productivity. And these pitfalls are on opposite ends, opposite extreme ends of the spectrum. And I'm not going to share them by priority or by importance. I just want to share the two pitfalls with you. The first pitfall is that God does not appreciate laziness. Laziness is the first pitfall to productivity for God's glory. Over and over again in scripture, God explains to us that he does not appreciate or care for laziness. Do you know in scripture, in the Bible, it says that if you will not or do not work, you should not eat. You see, God values productivity. And over and over again, he gives us instructions against laziness. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is full of admonitions against laziness. And it's interesting, in the book of Proverbs, God uses the word sluggard. Now that's a new word for your vocabulary because I'm sure most of you don't use it in a daily basis. Sluggard, sluggard means a lazy person. This past week, I came across a list of four reasons that God does not appreciate laziness. I wanna kind of share them with you this morning. Here's the first reason that God does not appreciate laziness. Laziness is irritating to others. Proverbs 126, as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so are sluggards, there's our new word for today, to those who send them, as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. You see, laziness is irritating to other people, especially if you're a productive person. If you're a productive person, a lazy person is fairly irritating to you. You think about laziness in this context, it's, we, we, we all kind of can struggle with laziness. Laziness is sitting around and watching TV all day or gaming all day or sleeping all day. Or in the workplace, laziness is leaving work until the next shift, is a general lack of initiative, is talking too much, not doing the work you're assigned. And that type of laziness is irritating to other people. Second, lazy people are usually frustrated. Look at Proverbs 13, verse four. A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. You see, lazy people are usually frustrated. Lazy people usually have some goals. They usually want to live a certain lifestyle. They usually want to live a lifestyle similar to those who are productive and maybe even sometimes on a higher lifestyle than those who are productive. But if you're lazy, you're never gonna reach the goal. If you're never lazy, you're never going to accomplish the task. And what ends up happening is you end up being frustrated because lazy people are usually frustrated. 
Third, laziness leads to poverty. And I have two verses here, three verses actually. First Proverbs 6, 10 through 11 says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. And then look at this next proverb. Do not, lo- do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake and you will have food to spare. So God is pretty clear. Laziness leads to poverty. It goes back to what I said earlier. God's pretty clear. If you do not work, you're not going to eat because God asks us, encourages us, instructs us to be productive. Do not succumb to laziness and you will avoid poverty. Look at reason number four. Reason number four, laziness is a form of theft. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. Laziness is a form of theft. In the workplace, if you are not giving full effort for your employer, in a way you are stealing from that employer. But it's not only in the workplace. It's in every area of life, in every area of productivity in our lives. If you are not being productive as God defines it, in the workplace, in the rest of your life, in the workplace, you are not only stealing from your employer, but in the workplace, as well as in all of life, if you are not being productive, you're actually stealing from God. So on one end of the spectrum, the pitfall is being lazy. And as we jump to the other end of the spectrum, we come to the opposite, the opposite pitfall. And that's workaholism. That is focusing too much on one area of productivity in our lives to the exclusion of all other areas of productivity in our lives. It's not having godly balance in all of the areas of our lives. You see, we call it workaholism because the reward from whatever area of life we focus upon can become addictive. Now, usually this happens in the workplace, but can happen in other areas as well. We tend to focus on the areas where we receive the most affirmation, the most praise, and the most reward. And those are the areas where we focus our productivity because let's be honest, we all like affirmation, praise, and reward. But the problem is, is we often get out of the godly balance. We often fail to continue to listen to God's instruction where he would have us do the good things that he is calling us to do. When this happens at the workplace, as is the place we often see it, what ends up happening is our lives get out of balance out of godly balance. And we focus more and more time, more and more energy on the work and the productivity in the workplace to the exclusion of all of our other relationships. And then the other relationships start to break down. And it's not only the relationships that we have on the horizontal with our family and with our friends, with the other people in our lives. 
Workaholism also breaks down the relationship we have in the vertical with God. When we focus on one area of productivity to the exclusion of all others, avoiding the godly balance that God has for our lives. And now the solution is not just working less hours in that area because all that does is creates a frustrated workaholic. The solution is recognizing that God is your boss. And as your boss, it is he who needs to set the boundaries of the work that you are to do, the productivity that you are to do, and he will set those boundaries. Your job is to seek his leading and listen to what he has to say about those boundaries in order to create that godly balance. So the solution to workaholism, recognize that God's the boss and recognize that your job is to listen to him and do the things that he calls you to do, the good things that he calls you to do for his glory. The workaholic also needs to recognize as all of us need to recognize that rest and relaxation is extremely important. Think about God. God worked for six days and on the seventh day he rested. So rest and relaxation are extremely important to you and to me. I came across this interesting verse. It's in Psalm 127. It's Psalm 127 verse two. And it says this, it says, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Now, as you look at this verse and as you read this verse, you see the general kind of idea of the verse is that God is with us and it is our job to trust God, right? But now look at how this verse is translated in a different translation, Psalm 127, verse two, from the New American Standard Version. Look at how it's translated because it seems to say something more. It is vain for you to rise early, to stay up late, to eat the bread of painful labors. Look at this phrase now. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. So not only is this verse now saying, yeah, God provides, but it goes a step further and it's even saying to me, it would be foolish to overwork. It's foolish to overwork because of God's provision. And every farmer understands this. Every farmer understands, yes, it's important to work, but much of the work of growing the planted crop depends upon the rain and the sunshine, which the farmer has no control over. God controls that. So rest and relaxation is important for you and for me. Recognizing that ultimately God is in control of all of this. Let him be God. And you and me, our job is to do good deeds for his glory. Engage in good deeds to others for his glory. As we come to a close, I came across a, a quote this past week that I heard another, of another preacher saying, 
And it was this. If you're not dead, you're not done. That's catchy, isn't it? If you're not dead, you're not done. Essentially, all that means is keep going. Press on. Just take the next step towards being productive for God. Recognize that he has called you to do good deeds for others for his glory, which means that when we do good deeds, not only are we helping other people, but we're helping them see our father in heaven. Do good deeds for his glory. Just keep pressing on. We started with a tree cutting video. I'm going to end with a tree cutting story. It's from Robinson Crusoe. The book Robinson Crusoe tells the story of a man who was uh, marooned on an island. He's marooned on an island all by himself and he's there and he wants to get off the island. Nobody wants to stay marooned forever on an island. And he realizes that he needs to be productive and he has an ax. And so he spies a tree and he comes to a tree that is almost six feet across at the bottom of the tree. So Robinson Crusoe starts hacking. He starts chopping at that tree and it takes him 22 days to cut down the tree. It takes him another 14 days to cut off the branches. And it takes him a year and a half to finish the boat. That's a lot of chops to chop down a tree to make the boat. And I know because it took me a lot of chops just to get that small branch. I can only imagine 22 days chopping down the tree and 14 days cutting off the branches. A big tree takes a lot of chops to bring down. Just keep chopping. Just keep chopping at that tree. Press on doing good deeds to others for God's glory. And when you do, and when you come to the end, you may say, as Paul says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. See, my prayer for you, my prayer for myself, is that I would be productive, doing good to others for God's glory. May we all seek to bring God glory. Amen. Okay, that was the close of the sermon. And now what I'd like to do is I'd like to close the book of Titus. This is our last week in the book of Titus. And we've had almost a year in this book and it has been a book that has encouraged us to live lives as followers of Jesus Christ answering over and over again, week after week, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, to live in this world we're living in with all the trials, with all the difficulties, with all the hardships, with all the successes and all the mountaintops as well. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And we are certainly living in difficult times. These are trying times. We've had the COVID-19 situation, pandemic, that has been happening for months. In the last month or so, we've had, we've had situations of brutality and violence in our nation. 
And it's been interesting. Over the past couple of weeks, I have had a number of people ask me, do you support Black Lives Matter? Do you support Blue Lives Matter? Do you support All Lives Matter? Which movement do you support? Which movement matters to you? My answer, Jesus matters to me. Jesus's movement matters to me. That's what Titus has been all about. Yes, we are to be people as followers of Jesus. We've seen it time after time. We are to be people who seek justice, who seek mercy, who walk humbly with our Lord. But Jesus is the one who matters. And out of our love for him flows our love for others. A love that calls us to be obedient to God, that calls us to be gentle, that calls us to be peaceable, that calls us to be devoted, and that calls us to be productive. I have something I'd like to share with you that somebody sent me this week. I did not write this. Somebody sent it to me. I don't know the author, but I think it says what I'm trying to say better than I've just said it. If your wagon is hitched to Jesus, you will inevitably find yourself agreeing, intersecting, and aligning with all kinds of movements and political camps as you travel through this world. But rest assured, at some point, Jesus is going to complicate things and probably get you kicked out. There is perhaps only a single place where we are truly at home, and that is with God's people. The fact is that we will never be conservative enough, liberal enough, or woke enough to truly be at home in any of these circles. There is going to be a part about your Jesus that will necessarily lead to tension and maybe even your cancellation. Welcome that. This makes us the unsung assets of whatever space we find ourselves in because we can speak in and out of those camps with transcendental truths. Our bias is to righteousness. We are nomads in this world and that very fact makes us powerful forces in the movements we ascribe to. Jesus matters. And Jesus loves you so much that he gives you instruction after instruction, encouragement after encouragement to live your life for him. Doing good deeds to others for God's glory. Hitch yourself to Jesus. Give your life to him. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.